You're listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast, where we make travel educational and fun. You ready to head back to where it all began? As we head to Yellowstone National Park. Thank you for listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Steuben. We are a family of four that travel part-time in our motorhome, a Jayco Seneca, and we tow a Jeep, travel with our dog, and tend to visit a lot of the national parks because we're trying to take our girls to all the national parks before they head off to college. And I think we are now at number 27 or 28. So um, trying to hit those all up and we try to bring information to you that's useful for your trips in your RV and um, in particular to the national parks. So on my Instagram feed recently, I asked people, Well, so the question that I get asked a lot is, which is your favorite national park? And it's hard to just pick a favorite national park, right? That's like picking a favorite Beatles song. You can't do that. It depends on your mood and it depends on what you're looking for. And there's different things you like about all of them. So I don't think I could answer a favorite park, but if you were to ask me, what's one park that I think every family should go to. So if a family said they're only going to go to one national park with their kids, they've never done a national park vacation, where should they go? I definitely know my answer. And it was the one that came up the most in asking other people. And that response was Yellowstone National Park. And why is it that people love Yellowstone National Park? Well, I think there's three things that really make Yellowstone amazing. The first thing is just its overall size. It's really a huge park and there's so much of it that is unique and different throughout the park. So of course the biggest national park in the lower 48 is not Yellowstone, it's actually Death Valley, Um, but a lot of Death Valley might be kind of similar throughout. Yellowstone um, in contrast has a lot of very different properties depending on where you are within the park. So I think it's a really unique and explorable land. You really can get to a lot of places within the park or see those different types of highlights um, in a reasonable way. It also is so large that it goes into three states. So for the most part, it is in Wyoming, but it also goes a little bit into Idaho and then a bit into Montana as well. And it's the only national park to do that, to go into three states. And it really is the type of park that has park and wildlife and wilderness as far as the eye can see. So you can be in a place and and as far as you can look, which is far out west, sometimes you have these huge vistas that go forever, um, everything is just still wildlife. There's not a lot of development that's on the fringe of it. So you don't get this and you don't have, you know, things like oil fields and stuff like um, when you're at Teddy Roosevelt or something where you have this other part of just a um, commercial life that's imposing onto the national park. Instead, you really feel like you're out in the wilderness. You feel like um, you can even feel like what the early cowboys and everybody saw when they were doing Wagons West and heading out. And it just, it feels raw. And I think that that wild feel is part of the reason people like it. The second thing I think makes Yellowstone amazing is the wildlife. So there's really abundant wildlife. There's unique wildlife. If you like your 
kind of um, mammals and your larger animals, you get that chance to see bison here. And you can see elk and you can see grizzly bears and you can see regular bears. You can see black bears too. Um, But you can see grizzly bears, which you can't see for us in Colorado. We don't get to see grizzly bears. They also have wolves up in Yellowstone. We're starting to get wolves in Colorado, but a lot of places you can't see wolves. Um, I got to be honest, though, I've been to Yellowstone three times, never seen a wolf there. <laughs> so, um, but you you have at least a potential to see them in Yellowstone. So there's a lot of wildlife and it's just really cool to be able to experience that. I guarantee when you go, you will see bison. That's pretty much a given. You're probably very likely going to see elk. And um, I have been up there and seen grizzly bears. So it's possible to see grizzly bears. The wolves are, you're probably going to have to work a little bit harder if you wanted to do that. So that's the second reason I think Yellowstone is super amazing. And then the third reason, which I think is probably the biggest reason, is that it exists on top of this super volcano. And that super volcano feeds the world's largest collection of hydrothermal features. So this is probably what makes this park such a popular park as an international destination. And when you go there, you'll hear a lot of different languages spoken and have a lot of international people that are surrounding you because um, it is such a unique thing that is the biggest place in the world to see all these hydrothermal features, which is so cool. And so what are some of those features? Well, there's five types of hydrothermal features you can see there. The first are the hot springs. And so the hot springs are hot water with bacteria in them. And this bacteria will, um, the type of bacteria that you have will depend on the temperature of the water. So you can have these pools of water where it's a little bit hotter towards the center and so it maybe it's a bluish color and then as you get out towards the fringe the type of bacteria that like that temperature are maybe orangish appear orangish to us and reddish so you end up with these different colors in these hot pools based on the type of bacteria that's in there and probably the best view of this is grand prismatic springs which is part of the lower loop and we'll go through both the loops, um, but just make a note that that's part of the lower loop. And then one of the, the second feature that I wanted to talk about are the geysers. So geysers are where you have constricted hot water and then it just shoots up and rises up. And so the one that's probably most well known for that is Old Faithful, which is also in the lower loop. And um, Old Faithful is called that because it's generally pretty predictable in terms of the time. And I think it was something like 90 minutes. So generally, if you're going to go there and you, you're going to hang around for about two hours or so, you're, you're guaranteed to see it in that time. So it's not exactly like clockwork because this is Mother Nature, but it's pretty consistent. So they call it Old Faithful. The third hydrothermal feature are the travertine terraces. And so this is where you have limestone and hot water over it that creates this chalk white travertine stone. And so this can best be seen up at Mammoth Hot Springs, which is part of the upper loop. The fourth hydrothermal feature are the fumaroles, and these are steam vents. So the smoke is just kind of coming out of the ground. And the best place to see this is Roaring Mountain, which is up on the upper loop as well. And then the fifth hydrothermal feature are the mud pots. And these are acidic hot springs, but there's so little water in the area that instead of seeing kind of this water pool like you would with the other hot springs like Grand Prismatic Spring, 
instead you're seeing the mud boil. And so probably the best example of this is artist paint pots, which is part of the lower loop as well. So those are some of the great features of Yellowstone and probably some of the reasons it's such a popular park. And when we come back, we're going to talk about logistics of the park and just some of the general things that you're going to want to know. So I think one of the most important things to know about Yellowstone is just how huge of a park it is and knowing that the entrances for it are miles away from where the actual tourist sites are at and sometimes the towns can be miles away from where the entrances are for the park. So you could be camping somewhere and it could be two hours for you to get to Old Faithful from where you're staying um, if you're not staying within the park. So um, I've heard sometimes I've seen people ask questions like on Facebook and stuff. Oh, can we just stay in Jackson Hole and just do a couple days in Tetons and do a couple days in Yellowstone? And I guess the answer is yes, technically you could, but you'd probably be doing like 12 or 14 hour days in your car because there's so much driving time in that type of a plan and nobody really wants to do that. So I think the best thing to do is to stay somewhere within Grand Teton or close to Grand Teton if you're wanting to do that as part of your trip and do that for a little bit of time like maybe two or three days and then head up and stay someplace that's either within Yellowstone in the National Park or just outside of there for three or four days in order to make that work. So I think ideally it would be best to probably spend two to three days in Tetons, three to four up in Yellowstone and to stay in those locations for the time that you're going to explore those parks because staying somewhere outside of town and then trying to get to both of those parks, it's just going to make for long, miserable days. So um, I don't think you'll be as happy if you do that. So just know, try to stay closer um, in there. And then the other thing to know about it is that the park actually makes, within Yellowstone, it's almost like two loops that are attached. So it's almost like a number eight. And so we'll talk about things in terms of the lower loop, which is like the bottom half of the eight, and then the upper loop, which is like the top half of the eight. And just so you know, the lower loop, if you were just to drive the lower loop, not stop anywhere, not be held up by traffic or animals in the road or anything, if you were just to drive it doing the 45 mile per hour speed limit, which it is most of the time, it would still take you like two or three hours, probably closer to three hours to actually drive around that loop. So you can imagine if you actually want to stop and see things or you have to stop and wait for parking, that that's significantly going to increase that time. So you need a lot of time to see this park. Um, having said that though, I do want to throw out our story and just tell you how we did Yellowstone. So on our most recent trip with our RV. So we got our um, 2019 Jayco Seneca in September. So it was like the first week of September and this was in 2018. And so we got our Seneca and everybody says on your first trip, stay close to home, go somewhere where you have resources, go somewhere where you'd have people to help you out in case there's a problem. And I think that's amazing advice. Um, we didn't take that advice though, because what happened was we were going to go somewhere close to home. So we were heading on I-80 and we were going to head to Dinosaur National Monument, which we still have not seen. And it's not that far for us. And we were driving on the highway and saw the sign for Yellowstone Teton, you know, coming up at this exit. 
and just said, okay, yeah, let's do it. Our girls hadn't been, let's just do it. So we went to Yellowstone and Grand Teton without any reservations, without any of my maps and guidebooks and all the typical stuff I do to plan. And I'm one of those people that over plan all the trips, as you can imagine. Um, my husband's more the fly by the seat of his pants kind of guy. And we did that for this trip and it worked out fine. Now, having said that, this was mid-September. So I think we started the trip on probably like the 15th of September. So middle of September, you're not dealing with Labor Day traffic. Kids are back in school. So for most people, they're not going to be able to travel this time of year. So there's a lot less crowds. But you still have the fall colors, and we still had beautiful weather, so it was a great time to visit. I highly recommend visiting in the fall because you won't have to deal with so many crowds, um, at least with the U.S. tourists. There was a huge international crowd, but a lot less people, and it was easy enough to park at the different locations. There was only one time and one place where we actually had to wait to get a parking spot, and everywhere else we were able to just stop and see the sites when we wanted to. So. Highly recommend going in September. Oh, and we also only had a few days at Tetons and we only had a few days at Yellowstone. So that's not how I'd like to do it. I'd love to have more time, but I'm still glad that we did that and at least got to see a base of it. And then when next time we go back, we know what we want to see more of and where we want to spend more of our time. So if you only have a few days or if you're driving out to Glacier from somewhere in the east or the Midwest, just stop at Yellowstone, even if it's just a day or two, just so you can see some of it and get a taste for it and decide what you want to see more of when you come back. So that's kind of my feeling about it. Um, and then the other thing I want to make sure you know is that you will need a vehicle for Yellowstone National Park. So unlike some of the other places like Zion or Glacier, where they have a shuttle system that's available for you to go to the different sites around the park, there's no shuttle system at Yellowstone. There's, um, I mean, there's some private companies that will do bus tours. So I suppose you could get scheduled onto one of those if you were coming into town or nearby in your RV and you didn't have a tow vehicle or um, you weren't with a travel trailer, so you had a vehicle with you. So I guess that is an option. The other thing is the different cities that are around Yellowstone have some car rental options. And we actually stayed in West Yellowstone, which is in Montana. It's just outside of the West entrance for the park. And I know that there's a car rental place there because my in-laws needed to use it. And um, that worked out just fine. I can't remember what they had to pay for the day. But um, if you don't have a tow vehicle, it'll be a lot cheaper just to rent a vehicle than to get that all set up. So um, for sure, rent a car, plan on renting a car or having your own vehicle because uh, you have to drive to all the sites and you have to park with everybody else who's trying to park there. That's the other reason why going in the off season, so either you could go kind of before summer starts, so kind of before Memorial Day and um, when the kids are first out of school, but things might not be open yet. So we're definitely getting snow through May in, in those areas. And so having that all cleared out and ready to go for cars might not actually happen until June. But in September, you still probably have some pretty good weather. There, there's a chance to have a snowfall, but it's probably not going to close all the roads yet. So September makes for a really good time. And when we come back, we are going to talk about things to see on the lower loop. There are lots of amazing stops 
in Yellowstone National Park, but I think I'm just going to focus on some of what I think maybe are the must-dos or some of the hydrothermal features that you can see and uh, talk about those. So when we came to Yellowstone, we came up from Grand Teton, so we were there the nights before, so we were heading northwest up into Yellowstone, and then we were heading over, well, we were heading directly north into Yellowstone, and then we were heading towards the west to get to West Yellowstone, which is where we were camping for the night. And so when we did this, we went ahead and stopped at Old Faithful. If you think about the lower loop as being a clock face, then I would put um, the entrance on the south end from Teton at 6 o'clock, and then the parking lot and area for Old Faithful being at about 8, probably 7 or 8 o'clock. So it's, it's not that far from that area. And then the West Yellowstone entrance is pretty much at nine o'clock. So it's on the route to there. The nice thing about the stopping here this night is that it saved us from needing to stop there on the next day, which freed us up for other things. And the Old Faithful parking lot is actually really large and it can accommodate large RVs. So we were able to pull up there were there was plenty of RV parking and big enough spaces for a real big RV. Ours is 37 feet. We were able to park. We kept the Jeep there too. Um, we had our dog with us, so we were able to let her out and um, have her unleash, but let her kind of like walk around and go to the bathroom and stuff. And the lodge is there. Obviously, the geyser, Old Faithful Geyser, is amazing to see, and you get to you can hang out for a little while and then you can just watch it shoot up into the sky. Super cool. We actually had a cloudy day, so it maybe didn't look as impressive as it is on a really clear blue sky day, but it was still neat to see. There's also a boardwalk that walks around the area so you can see some of the other features and and things on the ground. Because a lot of the places where these hot springs are at, obviously you can't be walking near that, right? Because I mean, we're talking about temperatures in like 200 degrees so really hot space and you can't walk it but you can see it from the boardwalk there's also usually a ranger giving a talk at the old faithful geyser so if you're hanging out there throughout the day i'm sure there will be a a ranger speaking about the geyser and giving some information Uh, there was when we were there and for the rest of the trip, we went ahead and parked the RV at the campsite, which was outside of the park, and then we just drove in our Jeep for the rest of the areas, and that really was necessary because there wasn't another parking lot that really could accommodate a large RV. So the Old Faithful parking lot is the only one that was really that size. So the next morning, we headed out with our Jeep, and came in through that west entrance and pretty soon after that there was a spot to pull over actually we had a bison in the road that was in our way so we kind of had to wait for the bison to cross and head over to the river and then we could see a bunch of different bison over in that area and then the first place though that we had set on our agenda to go to see was grand prismatic spring and um, this is the norris geyser basin It's important to go here first thing in the morning because there's just um, very limited parking. So, I mean, maybe, maybe 30 cars can fit in this parking lot and really not RVs. We saw a couple RVs, but they were like short RVs, like class B's or vans. It's not really intended for RVs to be able to park in there. So limited parking, even for cars. And there's actually people that were kind of parking on the main road on the way in there before you even took the turn off. I don't know if that's allowed. 
and if a ranger was making a move or not. But we did have to wait here for a while. So we probably had to wait 10 or 15 minutes just in the line of people until something freed up and, and a parking spot opened up. But this was the only place that we had to wait for the whole entire trip. That's why we got here, though, and we did this first thing. And in terms of where Grand Prismatic Spring is, I would put it at like kind of the 10 o'clock mark. So it's kind of um, on the west side, but a little further south. What's so cool about Grand Prismatic Springs is that you're seeing this hot springs with the um, bacteria that are the different colors and the the color differentiation is really exciting and you see this blue and orange and red and just all these fantastic colors that you just don't see in nature like this so it's really neat to see if you you can actually walk on a boardwalk that will take you up to the main part of Grand Pismatic Springs and it's probably only maybe a half mile, maybe three quarters of a mile. It's not that bad of a hike. And like I said, it's a boardwalk. So it's the kind of thing you could push a stroller if you needed to. Um, You also, if you wanted to get a bird's eye view of Grand Prismatic Springs, we didn't do this, but next time I definitely want to do this. You can do the Fairy Falls hike, which is kind of the access for it is kind of over by Old Faithful. It takes about three to four hours to do because it's about six miles. But when you get up to the top, you're getting this bird's eye view where you're looking down onto the Grand Prismatic Spring, and that would be really cool to see. So as you keep heading counterclockwise around the lower loop, From the whole kind of 6 o'clock to 3 o'clock spread, you're driving along Yellowstone Lake. And this is the largest high-altitude lake. It's really beautiful. We actually stopped here at Lake Lodge and went ahead and ate some lunch. And because it was the fall, there was nobody in the restaurant. It was perfect to just sit there and sit at one of the windows and look out over the view it was really beautiful this is also pretty close to the location where fishing bridge is at and we'll talk more about that in the campground area but fishing bridge is a wonderful place to stay it's close it puts you right in there it's only for rvs Um, it's been closed for renovations but they are opening it up this september so it's open pretty soon not in time for this summer but if you're going in the fall you'll be good and then for next year and it'll give you a great place to stay. So that's where this location's at. If you keep heading counterclockwise and keep heading up at about probably like the two o'clock part of the lower loop, you get to Mud Volcano in Hayden Valley. So Hayden Valley's on the inside of the loop and it's just this kind of flat space where you're likely to see wildlife. So you're getting these big amazing vistas because you have the flat valley and then you have the peaks in the background and it's a great place to try to see different wildlife even wolves some of them might be in the Hayden Valley area at least it's one of your better spots to check them out and then mud volcano is super cool there's boiling mud pots and dragon's mouth is located here and dragon's mouth was my kids favorite thing it's pretty much like this water spring that is partially in a cave so it's swooshing in and out of the cave and as it does that the steam is coming up from that hot spring so it's it's going and the steam is rising up so it's like a dragon is inside of that cave 
breathing out and you are getting all this smoke. It really looks cool. I actually have a video of it on my Instagram if you want to check that out. Or you could you could probably put it into YouTube and see some video of Dragon's Mouth. But that's where it's located. It's not on the maps, but it's part of Mud Volcano, just so you know. If you keep going up to about like one o'clock on that lower loop, then you're going to get to the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone River. This is not to be confused with, of course, the big Grand Canyon National Park uh, down in Arizona, but this has a really beautiful canyon where the Yellowstone River cuts through it, and there's a South Rim Drive, and there's also a North Rim Drive, so you could take either of those to go up and um, head to a parking lot where you can stop and then walk along it, so you're walking at it kind of from the upper point of the canyon and then you can look down at it and get some really great pictures and really do a hike that is as short as a mile or less than a mile um, you could even one of the parking lots I think you really could walk 20 feet from your car and be able to see the site but we hiked up for a bit we probably did about a mile hike you could do a very extensive hike from this point too if you wanted to see more the next spot, just a little bit further north of that, is Canyon Village. And Canyon Village is nice. It's a really big location where there's a lot of different resources. So there's like a ranger info area. So you can get junior ranger packets or turn them in here, get information from the rangers on places to hike and events going on. There's different shops that are here for those um, souvenirs that you need and restaurants. And it's just overall, it's a good break point. So now this kind of area, Canyon Village, is part of the the bottom part of the upper loop. So it's the upper part of the lower loop or it's the bottom part of the upper loop is kind of how you can think of the stretch of road from Canyon Village and then as you head west over to um, Norris. So at Norris, you can stop and see the Midway Geyser Basin. So if you couldn't get into the parking lot for Grand Prismatic Springs, you can check this out too, and it'd be a great spot to see that type of hot springs. You also have artist paint pots over here. So if you don't do Mud Volcano, you can do artist paint pots or vice versa, and you'll get a chance to see that type of a feature. Next is the upper loop. So the upper loop, I'm going to think of more in terms of kind of like four corners because there's really four towns that mark the four corners of this loop. And we already talked about Norris, which is in the southwest corner. And of course, that has Midway Geyser Basin and Artist Paint Pots and then Canyon Village, which I said was the village where there's a ranger station and stuff. So that's the southeast corner, also where the Grand Canyon of Yellowstone will be at. And then from there, we took that Canyon Village Road and headed north up to Tower Roosevelt. Now, this road, I hear, is going to be closed for part of summer 2020. So just be sure you check on the Yellowstone website. I don't know when the closure starts. I don't know if that's been announced and how much of the summer that's going to affect things. But you won't actually be able to take this road north to go up to Tower Roosevelt. Um, you can still get to Tower Roosevelt. You're just going to have to kind of go the long way on the other side. But when we went, we were able to just head north to Tower Roosevelt. And then from Tower Roosevelt, this is where you could get onto the Beartooth Highway and head out of town going towards the entrance that is kind of um, lower Montana, upper Wyoming on the east side. If you were to drive out 
on that road, the Beartooth Highway, is if you are going to exit the park, you're going to get to Lamar Valley. And Lamar Valley, Valley has a lot of features that are similar to Hayden Valley. You, you have those big vistas and you'll see different wildlife, but it's more known for seeing wolves. So if it really matters to you to try to spot a wolf while you're on this um, trip, then you're going to want to hit up Lamar Valley because that's probably your best bet. If you are headed towards Tower Roosevelt, some of the other things to see here are Tower Falls, um, waterfalls, and then the petrified tree is up here too. So it's pretty easy to just kind of stop there and pull over. It's it's near the road and then it's a petrified tree. So if you've never seen that, your kids haven't seen that, that's a super cool thing to stop and check out. Um, if you continue kind of on that northern part of the route, then it'll head to the west and go over to Mammoth Hot Springs. Now, Mammoth Hot Springs is the biggest town in the park. It's where the park headquarters are at. It's where the rangers live. And it, you can tell that this is really the town for the park. It's open also all year round. So the road that goes from Mammoth Hot Springs and over to Tower Roosevelt is actually the only road that's open through the winter in Yellowstone. The rest of the roads, they, they don't clear. You can take a snowmobile on them if you're part of one of the snowmobile tours, but you can't drive your car on them because um, they're covered in snow. But up in Mammoth Hot Springs, it's really cool to see this is where the terraces are, the tra uh, the Travertine Terraces. So you can see those. They're really big. There's some different places where you can get out and hike around, which is really neat to see. We also saw a bunch of elk here. I mean, like in the road, you can't even drive because there's so many elk all over the place. So I guess if you want to see elk, this is probably a good spot to go as well. Side note, though, this is not a hot springs you can bathe in. If you're from the East Coast and you're not used to hot springs, out West, we have a ton of hot springs um, in a bunch of your mountain towns and places where you just have these natural hot springs. There's places that put in swimming pools and, and kind of uh, fuel um, pump some of that hot spring water into the pool. And then you can soak and sit around and do all sorts of fun stuff. So there's a lot of hot springs out West. And that's one of the things I love about this area, but Yellowstone, the Mammoth Hot Springs are not hot springs for us to go in. There actually is one place where you are allowed to get into some hot springs, natural hot springs, and dip into it. And I just learned about that recently. I didn't even know about that in the current trip, but I'll tell you about that right now. So apparently in Boiling River, which is kind of halfway between Gardner and Mammoth, there's an area that you can stop and then you can go to a hot springs kind of area so there's kind of some different pools and stuff so you need to you know bring your swimsuit and flip-flops and all that kind of stuff um, and it's not exactly like people don't know about it but if you do want to do a soak while you're in Yellowstone that's the place where you can do it then as you continue back south heading towards Norris you'll pass Roaring Mountain and this is the place where you'll see the fumaroles so this is the steam that's just kind of smoking and coming out of the side of the mountain so really cool to see um, that's probably one of the last highlights there on the upper loop and when we come back we're going to talk about camping at Yellowstone National Park. Mm -hmm. 
Because Yellowstone is such a large park, it really is best to stay in the park if you can. And because they have an option with electrical hookups, there's really no reason to stay outside of the park unless you just can't get in there. So the NPS has a concessioner who actually runs the Fishing Bridge RV Park for them. And what that means is that you have things like hookups and stuff. Um, I'm sure, you know, plenty of people protest the fact that you have concessioners because of course they charge more and stuff than the NPS does, but it's also because you have amenities. So, or, you know, things like electrical and water and sewer. So what you have here with Fishing Bridge is a total of 310 sites. These are sites that are for hard-sided RVs only. So there's definitely a lot of bear activity. They um, do not open this up to tents or even pop-up campers. It has to be hard-sided RVs. They can accommodate up to 95 feet in length. So if you have a large RV and then you're pulling a trailer or you're pulling a tow vehicle with you, you're still probably going to be fine because most people are still going to be able to fit under 95 feet. They have a combination of pull-throughs and back-end sites, depending on what you want. And they just renovated in their upper loop of the RV park, they renovated 172 sites with 30 and 50 amp power. So it's really great to know that you can still have power, which we always like to have power because we have a dog with us and we want to be able to run the air conditioning or the heat or anything else that we need while we're out seeing the site so that the dog is um, able to be comfortable. And in the summer 2020, it will not still be open until September 4th, but they are taking reservations now for that time period of September 4th until October 4th, and then they close for the winter. And pretty much the whole lower the the whole lower loop pretty much is closed for the winter pretty soon after that point because the roads are not passable. They're not going to clear them and they're not going to plow them. And so the only road you have is the upper part of the upper loop that's open for Yellowstone in the winter. The rate for Fishing Bridge is $79 is the base rate per night, but um, I didn't actually go through and do a reservation because we don't need one this September. And so I don't know how much they add on for taxes and fees and all that kind of stuff, but I would presume that it's probably going to be close to about $100 a night to do that. But let me tell you, well worth it to actually be in the park and be able to easily access all the stuff that you want that's around you. Your other options, you could... Um, you really are not going to want to stay in Grand Teton and then have to drive all the way back and forth to, Ye- to Yellowstone to see the sites. We stayed at Coulter Bay while we were in Teton, which was really great, but you're probably, you know, two hours from Old Faithful, um, which is just one of the many sites that's on that lower loop. So I don't think you'd want to stay in Grand Tetons as a base and then try to do Yellowstone. You really want to move closer if you can. In West Yellowstone, that's probably only about 20 minutes outside of the park from where the park entrance is. Now it's a little bit further to get to a lot of the sites, but um, that's not a bad location. There's a couple RV parks that are right in West Yellowstone, and if you just go a little further out of town, then you can get to some really nice parks like the West Yellowstone KOA, which is really nice and has a lot of amenities. A little further away, so you know, you're probably 40 minutes from getting to the park entrance and into the park, but you have a lot of other nice features at that KOA. And then there's, of course, some places north if you head up into Gardner, Montana. So that would be coming in from the north entrance from there. So you can find some RV spots there that people like. And then um, over if you head to like Cody, 
in Wyoming. That's a little bit further, but it's a nice town and there's some other stuff that you might want to see. So there's definitely some sites. It's just things are going to take you, you know, an hour plus to get to the locations that you want to be at for the day for your day trips. So if you can, getting into Fishing Bridge is your best bet for being there. So hopefully this is useful for your Yellowstone trip and doing the planning. And there's at least a couple helpful hints on how to get to places or what you might want to see, where you want to stay, things like that. If you like this, please subscribe to our channel. It helps us out. Feel free to leave a comment or feedback for us. I always look at those. And if you want to connect with us, we are on Instagram at RV Homeschool or Facebook. And then we have a YouTube channel too, where we tend to do video reviews of the places that we're staying and some other um, fun features about having a motorhome or a, a big super C and driving in the mountains and all that kind of fun stuff. So thanks to everybody for listening and we will see you in the parks. <laughs>